Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time talking for about. Mortgage Matters. All right, everybody, good morning. Thanks for joining us. I'm feeling sleepy, so I'm going to I'm gonna be like, if you hear slapping sounds or me shaking my head around or something, that's what it is, just trying to wake up a little. How are you feeling this morning, Dan? I'm feeling refreshed because I was sleepy last night. You got good sleep? I did. Yeah. I, was, I was sleepy yesterday, and I, I didn't manage that restful of a night of sleep. Oh, that's too bad. But hey. You know, it's a it's a beautiful day today. It's sure nice it to is. get a little rain yesterday. Yeah. I got the John Lindsay update where they he he came out originally saying we were likely to get hundredths of an inch of rain, mostly just a dusting, and then that was later upgraded. And I thought, man, it would be sure nice to get a little more rain. And it rained well where I was around. I mean, I, w- I would say I I felt like I saw a half inch. What did you out there on the coast pretty rainy about the same yeah it's early in the day it was just that dusting and then at night yeah came down there was a couple moments where it was coming down pretty hard yeah it was nice yeah woke up ground was nice and wet this morning good my facebook see. feeds shows that it was snowing in big bear last night oh wow yeah pretty wild so, uh, in the second hour of the show today, we're going to be joined by uh, Hal Swayze, Remax Del Oro. Uh, is it, would it be poor form for me to say this is the number one real estate agent in the county? Uh, I don't think so. I think that sounds like a fact. Yeah. Well, it'd be cool to have him on. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, real estate, kind of the state of things, get it. A, a little bit different angle and view for from where he sits and uh, i'm excited to have him on so that'll be during the second hour of the show here in the first hour i can't decide if this was a a good news week or not um uh, dan <laughs> i'm what settled are you doing? i'm settled in it's kind of distracting <laughs> we just had to I- Quickly replace Dan's headphones. He can't I, hear you. I only had one <laughs> ear functioning. All better now? Yeah. yeah. These ones, um, it's a different kind of sound, but both ears are working. There you go. This is the part where you're just supposed to make do with what you got and be a professional. I know, <laughs> but I was distracting, so I, I apologize for that. <laughs> okay. I was about to say, <laughs> I couldn't tell whether it was a a light medium heavy news week um really at all and and also kind of felt like another mixed week of different news um some good news some bad news and uh all in all though we saw some improvement this week in the mortgage market and and i really when interest rates get better like that i think the underlying tone is that there's a maybe the future just doesn't look too bright. And if for no other reason, I think over the last couple of weeks, how much of the price improvement do you think we're seeing is just because so many of the banks are talking about how busy they are 
um, and rather rephrased how no. less <laughs> busy they are than they were previously. And that really just means if they're if the bank's volumes are all down so much and now it's being confirmed, there's less of those loans to go into those securities. And that's usually going to get people to clamor for um, lower profit margins to keep market share and consumers benefit that from that lower rate. Yeah, I mean, we see this every time volume ebbs and flows. We, we see profit margins adjusted to kind of control volume. That's the bank's tool to to help turn that the flow on and off of, of the loan volume. Um, so yeah, I think there's some element of that. I think there's just uh, the other element is just the fact that the the Fed consistently is telling us that the economy is going to be sluggish and that we they're going to be focused on keeping interest rates low. So that that those statements repeated month after month after month kind of give a signal to investors about where their money should be placed too. And and right now. Um, you know, we, we came off a week of good economic data, which was coming off of a horrible winter. And now this week, I thought the news was kind of ho-hum, especially when you get into housing. Yeah, the housing news wasn't so hot, but um, leading indicators, the conference board index, um, durable goods, there was a handful of bright spots this week that came out, none of which seemed to be related to housing. Housing sort of came back as the wet blanket on several days where some good news hit. Um, and so that, that I feel like, is what is making it a little bit volatile. The 10-year yield closed out this week at 2.66. Um, that 10-year yield has spent... Um, I don't have this in front of me, but I can say just from memory and, and feeling here that the 10-year has been... Between 2.6 and 2.8 for a couple months now, anywhere kind of from one side to the other, but it's kind of liking the 2.7 number. And this week, a little bit lower at 2.66 for the close. Um, that's pretty good. And and we bring that up, of course, because that that is the benchmark yield by which we can most closely predict interest rates. And they're a percent and a half over that. So that puts the 30-year fix you know, somewhere around four and a quarter ish or so. And that's good. That's, I mean, that's still historically low. Seems like it should be enough to incent people to get out and be um, buying. There's a lot of people wanting to buy, not a lot for sale. I still, you know, a couple of months ago, I brought up a realtor locally who's got an ad in the paper saying, I've got buyers who wants to, who sell? Wants to sell their house. And that ad has been running consistently every week, huh. still today. Really? Yep. I wonder if it's working. I don't know. The The ad has changed different sets of buyers being described of what their needs are and trying to find the right house for Who's them. Who's the realtor? Um, is it Kristen Crabtree? Hmm. I know Crabtree is the last name. Okay. Yeah, she's. I think it's a Saturday, every Saturday, maybe both weekend days i'm seeing that ad in the paper that's a pretty clever ad it is i like it because it, it's it's so different than what's normal but it really does speak to what the market's like today and if you were if you were facing selling your home today you know what might prevent you from agreeing to go on and sell your home lacking confidence of being able to find a new home 
to be able to find a replacement property that's acceptable, um, let alone one that's available, you know? So it, it's sort of a chicken or the egg thing, too. One of the things that I found interesting this week was a, a quote from, who is this? He's the director of economic forecasting for the Mortgage Bankers Association. His name's Joel Can, And he was describing the inventory mix right now that's available um, across the country. And he's saying that everything, all homes priced below that, what would um, need a conforming loan amount, everything below a 417 loan amount, the inventory of those properties is declining. Um, It has been declining and it is well below what the demand is right now. Everything above that number, everything requiring a high balance or jumbo type financing, the inventory there is increasing and becoming more plentiful for people. Um, some of it, they think, has to do with the improved availability of jumbo financing today and the interest rates that you can get on jumbo financing. Um, and then the other thing is just that, you know, the the lower price stuff has been gobbled up so quickly um, that that's, it's pushed all these first-time homebuyers out. Um, it's, uh, it's just made things very challenging in that low end of the market. When the uh, that sort of reemergence of those homes that are of that in our area that are of that loan amount that's going to be four hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand. That's that. That's that move up buyer for the most part. That's that buyer that isn't generally a first time home buyer. He's usually coming with equity from another sale and buying a home that's slightly above the average home in the area. Um, the confidence and restoration of the first-time home buyer uh, entry-level housing market. I mean, Wes has been on the show for years telling us that we should expect that, that once that sort of gets all sorted out and the the entry-level housing thing gets runs its course, that's when the move-up buyer um, has that ability to to move around in their own class. And so it doesn't surprise me that it's coming. I still think it's slower than it than it could or should be. And it feels to me like there's a little bit of a gap between the entry level and some of the houses that are sitting on the market a little while. The more expensive houses are sitting longer. The the most expensive houses or the the middle most expensive, I think, sits on the market the longest, and and then the curve kind of falls down all the way into like zipping off of the market as anything in the entry level housing, and and you kind of it's sluggish in the middle. Though agreed, there's more availability. We uh, we're willing to take phone calls today, so if you want to call in and ask a question, share a comment, concern, you can. The number is five four three eight eight three zero five four three eight eight three zero. That's the number. Give us a call, ask a question, share a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And um, it's ten fifteen here, so we're gonna go ahead and, and get out for the first commercial break. When we get back, we got more to come, so stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. Refi or refinance a home. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks for being with us. Seems like everybody survived tax season, huh? Did you get them done or are they on extension? Mine are on extension. I knew that. Yeah. I I wonder how many people put them on extension. I would prefer not to. Yeah, I kind of want to gripe about that, actually. Um, no matter how prompt I am at getting the accountant to all of my information, um, it seems like the norm is to drag out to the last minute and then just file an extension. I, I prefer to just have them filed and be done. I mean, I guess it doesn't actually impact you much, but... No, because you still get to pay what you owe by the 15th. Right, yeah. April. I was hearing <laughs> that about doesn't change. Um, people who get tax refunds, though. That's fun. And doesn't that always mean that uh, – I was starting to think about this the other day. You know how um, home buying season's coming up and then you got like vacation season two, um, summertime? It's got to like spur the economy on a little bit to get um, tax returns, people getting tax returns and out there spending it. 
Um, at the same time, I imagine some people spend less because they just paid hefty tax bills. But did you know what the number one use of um, a tax refund is? No. Are you a refund guy over here, Mr. Switchboard? No. No. I used to be. <laughs> I used not. to always. Uh, well, I know, and I know check. what you did with yeah. your refund. Save it. Save it. There <laughs> <laughs> you are. Yeah. In diversified yeah. savings places of little risk and high return. Yeah. Um, I don't. I. I what you would ask, you do with a return? Um. You know. Make well, car payments. Make. Pay uh, off debt. Then pay off debt. maybe like yeah. try to square up a little bit. Get yeah. A credit card. The number one use of tax returns from a, a an article I read this week said um, vacation. People plan vacations on them. Well, why not? I mean, yeah. if you can do that. <laughs> get, get away and blow it in some yeah. distant land. I don't know. I usually used my return to square up on, like, bills. Yeah. In I, I, like credit card or make another car payment, you know, double the car payment or something, you know. Yeah. Well, it seemed like... Mm -hmm. Right after college, well, during and after college was like the final years of my getting a return. And then it swung radically the other side of yeah. um, there is no return to be had. They have, always want more. You have three nice little deductions there. I mean, doesn't that help you at all? I, I, I appreciate that. Um, I think people without kids yeah. feel like they um, miss that tax deduction. Uh -huh. um, my wife's grandfather is one of the sweetest, smartest, most financially intelligent and sound people I know. Mm -hmm. And he told me years ago that um, nobody ever got rich by buying write-offs. Yeah. And this was in terms of like, you know, should I run out and lease a, a BMW and write it off? Uh -huh. No. Drive the car you have that has no payment and save the money. Yes, you're going uh -huh. to pay taxes, but you're yeah. accumulating wealth. Kids are kind of that way. Yes, you get some kind of tax credit or deduction or something mm. for them. But believe me, it pales in, in comparison to the actual cost of oh, the yeah. child. Oh, well, yeah. I know that. They're a, <laughs> <laughs> the balance sheet is in the red by oh, far always. By, yeah. Mm -hmm. But hey, you know, yeah. it, it's worth <laughs> it. Best best debt service you ever have is yeah, taking you gotta, you gotta feed them, clothe them, you know, little things like that. Provide yeah, provide housing for them, things like that. All that stuff. <laughs> and and don't forget the niceties too, you know. Yeah, well. Yeah, I remember I, I've said this on the show even before. My dad was always so mm. frustrated with me and my brothers because a family of four boys and yeah. you know how you guys are both boys. You know how boys are. We could burn out a pair of shoes pretty quick. Oh, yeah. And um, I remember my dad getting so mad and it was like, I'm. I swear I'm just using them. I'm not using them <laughs> yeah. for breaks, and I'm not dragging them on the hills like you accuse me of. I I swear I'm just doing what kids yeah. are doing, and my shoes are wearing out. Yeah. And I remember my dad, oh, it's not possible. And now with my kids, um, yeah. I'm <laughs> sure they're, like, stopping the car with their shoes. Yeah. You sound um, like your dad. Is oh, that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, but, a, but a good pair of shoes still will only last like six or eight weeks these guys are nuts the way they tear out shoes yeah. and my daughter that's five she even wears shoes out in a similar fashion oh, they cover kids. some more ground than we do 
their kids. You they know. just do. Plus, your kids are involved in sports too. That yeah. costs money too. You know, the yeah. buying the stuff for the for the sports cleats for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shoes, lots of shoe stuff. That's the bane of my budget right now. It's going to go out. If and I buy got a tax return, I would buy shoes. You're going to buy stock in the shoe company, maybe. Mm-hmm. There you are. Hey, so um, you know, there's a handful of these things that are tracked um, that kind of give us a, a signal of the strength of the economy. Um, one of the things that popped out this week was durable goods, and durable goods. Um, by definition, I believe I'm not. I don't have this in front of me, but durable, durable goods to me are things like the refrigerator, washer, dryer. They're consumer purchases that are intended to have a life expectancy of more than a few years, and people kind of make things last a little bit longer. And you, uh, you're going to have more repairs in times when the economy's tight, and people will part with money and buy, replace, and upgrade these um, durable goods items when the economy is a little bit more strength. So this is something that uh, we look to in the in the market here as an indication of what to expect going forward. Uh, the durable goods is always volatile, though. There seems to be like some big orders or something can push this thing around and swing it around a little bit. So sort of we know that we pay some attention to it, but it was expected. This index was expected to grow by 2% and pretty much wowed everybody with a gain of 2.6%. So it really makes us feel like people are confident and willing to dust off the wallet and make those investments, replace those wearing items or upgrade even existing items they have that they want something a little bit better. And so that should have really moved the market uh, in a good way, showing that, hey, here's one more piece of evidence there's a bright spot. Um, kind of came out on the same day, though, that we start to see the Russia-Ukraine thing really getting some legs. This week, uh, Russia's credit grade was downgraded by Moody's to basically junk status. Um, there's there's a lot of tension building over there, and that had some effect this week too. Whenever there's that kind of geopolitical turmoil overseas, um, it I, somehow or other when you're a kid, you're taught that war is good for the economy. Um, it's not good for these markets. It's not good um, overall, uh, obviously for a lot of reasons and most of which humanitarian. But when these things happen, it causes investments to freak out and run off and people move over into the safety of bonds. And so that durable goods number should have driven bond prices higher um, or yields higher rather on account of it kind of means the future's looking good. And in turn, because it was met by some Ukrainian news, um, it drove those yields lower. And so, um, that, that's just kind of a, a good, one good example of how this week sort of everything, every day we saw a piece of good news, we kind of saw a piece of bad news that kept the good news from having its positive impact over the it seems like over the last 10 15 years or so we've seen more than the normal share of geopolitical news whether it's economic turmoil overseas or conflict type of turmoil overseas 
every single time something happens and is newsworthy somebody turning off the internet <laughs> it just we see it instantly reflect in the bond market quickly yeah it's it's immediate it i mean you you see uprising in a foreign country on the news and you're watching the bond market react to it real time yeah and i think that historically there there is always a relationship you can't you can't debate that. I mean, that's what we call that flight to quality. But I think lately, while there's so much focus on the financial markets and so much care and um, talk and consideration given to what these interest rates are doing, um, that these things are sort of having magnified um, impacts in the market. And so... Um, uh, another part that came out this week, um, U.S. leading indicators for the month of March release. This was um, this was the best reading for U.S. indicators in four months, showing that hey, things are thawing out. We look like we are growing, and these indicators are suggesting so. This is good news. Um, additionally, this week we found out um, the Conference Board Index, which is Again, this is kind of a this is sort of a gauge of the outlook of like the next three to six months, um, trying to to make suggestion as to how are things going to go? Are are we in a contracting cycle, stable or growing? Um, given the time of year, one would expect and hope that we are um, poised for some growth. And this index came out this week. Um, in in February, the gain was 0.5 percent. And here for the month of March, it read at 0.8%, which was slightly better than expected. So again, that, that's just kind of showing that, hey, there's, there is some stuff to look forward to. And we do think that the economy's got a little bit of strength. Um, and then I think most of these things tied together, sort of icing on the cake here was that the April consumer sentiment was um, expected really flat, if anything, maybe slightly higher. Um, and it was higher. It was higher than expected. And um, I thought that was interesting because I I noticed a direct correlation between my consumer sentiment and the price at the gas pump. And gas prices seem to be kind of going on a tear lately. I mean, what was the last price you paid for a gallon of gas? I don't look too closely anymore, but it it's was depressing. Yeah, isn't it? it was. I want to say around four nineteen. I yeah. bought some last night. At 421 yeah. that's expensive yeah the um you know and I, for me personally i mean i i drive a diesel and so i for the longest time um diesel was more than gas which was pretty frustrating and now finally you guys are paying more so i'm kind of happy with that <laughs> i'll take Turn it about fair play is that what I, you're trying to say i'll take it <laughs> So, is this a good time to talk those home sales numbers? Sure. Yeah? It's always good. Why don't we round out the rest of it? The The final bit of non-real estate or housing news that came out was the unemployment claims, the weekly jobless claims. That's right. Yeah, and so four-week average has been? Like hovering right above 300,000. Darn near pre-recession levels. 
and the reading this Thursday. So in the last few weeks in a row, we saw like a 300 read. Um, last week, we had a 305 reading, 305,000 initial jobs claims. On Thursday, we expected that to go up to 310,000 initial jobs claims. Pretty sad, disappointing little read there. 329,000 people sort of shattering expectations and going well beyond what that four-week average has been. Why? Well, the the news sources blame Easter weekend, Easter holiday layoffs that are typical for, for this time of year. I wasn't aware that Easter was a big time for laying people off, um, but that's... That's fascinating. That's what they'll say. Maybe if you had like an Easter egg hunting lot. Applications can be volatile around Easter because many school systems temporary lay off, temporarily lay off bus drivers, cafeteria workers, and other employees during spring break. What? For a week? Why would you do that? I don't know. Okay. Hmm. If you got laid off from your bus driving job, though, because you can't drive for that week, I mean, would you... Could you get, doesn't unemployment have to be two weeks before you can make the claim? I don't know. I need to study up That's on this crazy. unemployment thing more. I I never, um, never took unemployment benefits. Um, I think the first great opportunity I had was in 07 when the last mortgage company that we, well, it was the last paycheck I got from somebody else. Yeah. Uh, when that company went under, um, I thought that I would take, some unemployment benefit, but then um, the application asks whether you were looking for a job or going to start your own business. And I said, start my own, which means you don't get it. But um, I don't feel very well skilled in it. Um, though you should just lie and say, looking for a job and then start your own business. I mean, you know, you I know a lot of people <laughs> that did do that, honestly. Yeah. Um, in fact, we, it, it's, Sadly, kind of a normal thing in our industry where someone will come to you from another bank mm -hmm. saying I'm on unemployment and want to move my license to you. And then because it when you do a loan, it generally takes about 30 days from the day you take the application until it's all said and done. So people think they'll take their unemployment for that month and then, you know. Hey, look at that. On the 31st day, the unemployment stopped yesterday. And now I funded my first loan. Um Needless to say, Jim, I, yeah, I'm just a, a cut above that, not willing to play <laughs> that game. But um, yeah, it, that's yeah. a strategy utilized for sure. And I don't know. I mean, unemployment's kind of something that you pay into, I suppose. But um, I think it takes. I don't know if it, you have to necessarily wait two weeks. I've I've had it before. Um, but I think maybe it takes two weeks. To Couple get it weeks going. to, to get receive it, it to get it going. Yeah. Huh. Well, heck. So when we look at all the non-housing related numbers that have come out over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to say good. It's it's good, right? I'm going to say good. Coming Barring... off of a very bad winter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know. So I... when you know that we're coming off of two to three months of. Is it pent up? Is there pent up yeah. growth and pent up good news? Is this really a sign of things to come, or is this just a recovery from a major slowdown? Such a you're such a good deductive thinker in that respect, Dan. And I, that's a pessimistic um, 
Let's go with realistic. Logic. Let's go with realistic. Every here. pessimist calls themselves <laughs> a realist. Come on. You know that. You're, you're always calling me a pessimist. I just, I mean, it's great that people went out and bought bigger ticket items that last them three years with the durable goods number. It's great that, you know, consumers are more confident. Well, it, didn't you feel this about the employment market, though? I mean, what was it? It was December that was like 76,000 jobs, right? And then it was like January that was 120-something. And then February comes along and February delivers us like 175,000 jobs or something, which is still below everybody that knows what these numbers need to be agree that that number is substandard yet we kind of celebrated it because thank god it wasn't another seventy-six thousand job month but this number over the previous year the average in 2013 was over 200,000 a month and even that is something we need to be doing better than this year and you add up this year what's the average this year the average this year has got to be around 150,000 so somebody comes out with a 200 and everyone wants to celebrate it but the reality is is you're not really making up for that lost time and and i i feel like that is kind of what happens in some of the data here well so i was when the consumer confidence number came out i i read a an article analyzed it and one economist from a investment company made a good point perhaps consumers are no longer using pre-recessionary times as comparison but rather a new lowered bar of expectations accepting a new normal so good and that that may be some of the stuff you you experience down times long enough and small positive steps forward will feel really good um, even though they may not be above a true normal um, but that's not necessarily where I was going with that. What I, I mean, we saw, we've seen some positive news. We've even seen some negative news, like unemployment um, or jobless claims ticking up a little bit this week. None of that stuff really is that concerning or exciting to me, depending on whether the news is good or bad. Um, the thing that really has me concerned is housing, because so far, going into this recession and coming out of it, it's all been housing. Housing sure. let us down. Housing has been the one bright spot leading us back out. But so here's, but check this out though. Couple things. Number one, it costs a lot to build a home. And some of these homes that are selling, and we see this in the appraisal as you, you analyze the cost approach. This is one of the ways that we figure out what a home is worth is to look at it and say, if you had to build this again today, what would it cost you to build it? And oftentimes, especially when you factor in the value of the land, okay, because let's take a house that's like in downtown San Luis Obispo. This, is, this house is going to sell for $600,000. Let me ask you, if it was just a piece of dirt with utilities there, no structure, no nothing, what would that be worth? I got to say a few hundred grand. There's not a lot of infill lots left in town. If there was one, you wouldn't probably have too much trouble selling it. So then you kind of go, okay, so it's selling for 600. The lot itself is probably arguably worth 300. Um, in some cases, it's even worth a little bit more. But so now the house, 
Can you build a house in San Luis Obispo here today at the current cost of labor and materials, the actual structure itself for $300,000? And the reality is, is that in a lot of cases here, once you back out the land value, the answer is no. That still the cost of the materials and labor still actually exceed where the real estate value is. And, and those kinds of things are what makes me think that this is still a good time to buy real estate. Um, so that's my first part of this is that it's it's grown more expensive to build than ever before. There's additional costs and fees and taxes, higher standards for your energy efficiencies and the kind of, um, you know, all of the exactions that come to the builder today that didn't exist 30 years ago. But then additionally, just materials are by way of inflation and taxes are more than they ever were. So it's just more expensive. The other thing um, is that we haven't built in so long that there just isn't enough around. So now what are you going to find? Um, we literally have running the clock. Um, the reality is, is that population rate is still rising. Um, I said this, I know I don't want to beat the dead horse, but when this recession started eight years ago, there was kids that were going from eighth grade into high school. Those kids today are like graduating college. We didn't build homes for them. So they're trying to get in and compete in the existing inventory and it's tight. It's not even close. So what do you have? Kind of runaway prices on a crisis here that we have way more demand now than we have supply. And I think honestly, we, we face some pretty tricky times ahead. Yeah, we do. And I, th I think, in addition to having a lack of supply, you also have a lack of affordability with these runaway prices. I mean, there's been there's been um, studies done lately where you go through all the major metros in the country, and in all those major metros, homes are unaffordable for two thirds of the population. Yeah, in each city, so it's not something that's just a California phenomenon. It's it's across the country. It's everywhere, and and what's really alarming to me is that ever since June or so of last year, um, we have seen a consistent decline in the housing market. We've seen um, existing home sales drop seven of the past eight months. So it, it directly coincides with with the weaning off of the you know the federal government bond buying program and and the lowest of low interest rates now that interest rates are still historically low but a, about a percentage point higher than they were at the peak low that's enough to to start to dry up that shook it yeah that shook it and you know what's funny is that when you get down into the math it's not a that's not enough to to make that the reason i actually think what what's going on on a on a bigger scale is that people are kind of once bitten twice shy on the housing market and the the way that this ultimately gets sized up for me is that um they lost the fever there was just a fever and if nothing else it was based on perception and um today just the absence of that fever. I mean, a year ago, it was like, do you own a house? No. Why not? 
What's wrong with you? <laughs> What'd you do? How come you would, why wouldn't you be buying this? The interest rate's 3%. The houses are cheaper than they've ever been. Um, why not buy? And so kind of everyone you talked to was on, on some path of buying. And today, um, some people say that it's unaffordable or they're disinterested or there's not enough to buy. So they are frustrated and give up, you know? So I, I feel like it's a, by the way, the big way to solve the whole problem, 40 year mortgages. I want to go, I want to go to, um, to Washington, explain these cats that we can solve a lot of these problems with a 40 year mortgage. And it makes sense. That's a non-qualified mortgage, by the way. I know. It's silly. We've got a caller on the line waiting patiently. We've got Marilyn in San Luis Obispo. Thanks for calling in, Marilyn. Good morning. Um, Morning. When uh, we built our house in 1960, and I still live here, and it's about 1,600 square foot, and costs like $28,500, something like that. But there used to be an average... Uh, amount per square foot uh, for buildings, so you could kind of estimate. Sure. What is the average now? Today, that number's like uh, locally here, it, it's pretty widely accepted to be on the low end, probably a hundred and forty dollars a square foot. And I would suggest that kind of average, modest house, not all the crazy upgrades and everything, is probably about a hundred and fifty a square foot. Okay. Well, I was very curious about that. And land, <clears throat> I have the largest lot on my side of the street, and it was 3500 It's very large. Mm-hmm. But that was 1960. So the, how did they average the amount for a lot? You were saying it depends where it is, right? Yeah, it, it really does. And, you know, the, the lot component of it ultimately depends pretty aggressively on, on what's available. You know, if they're if you're down, so that's the thing about land, right? They're not making any more of it. Right. <laughs> and so if you're in an area where you really need or want a vacant piece of land, um, you're totally subject to what's left and in, you know, and what its opportunities for uses are. So that land can just vary so radically that it's really hard to put any kind of a number on, um, you know, but the, the logical deductive part of me though, if, if I know that there's a, a vacant piece of land, um, I would, I would suggest that, okay, well that neighborhood has 2000 square foot houses. So at $150 a square foot, the building cost itself is 350,000 and the houses in that neighborhood sell for 650,000. So that land is probably worth 300,000. And if you're doing it from an investment standpoint, you know, maybe you, you get the lot itself for 200 so that you kind of, that's where you make a little bit of your profit is in that that acquisition and you know because you're willing to take it on and endure the building process and stuff so i think that's kind of how land is backed into is based on Uh, at its best use when it's built out where will the value be based on how it's improved and you know then then kind of negotiated from there when you go into other places where land is plentiful and there are vacant lots everywhere and 
you know, it's it's nothing special to be able to get this one as opposed to the one next door. Then then I think it's kind of anybody's guess what what the seller's willing to sell for. Oh, thank you for clarifying all that. Do I may I have another question? Sure. Is sure. it a detriment or an asset to live close to Cal Poly? Ooh, depends who you ask. <laughs> I'm gonna say that it is an at an attribute to be near Cal Poly. I think honestly, for me, those kids, if if you and, and I like to take things to extreme to make my point, if you picked up and sucked out the vacuum of all of the kids and just every Cal Poly student in our county and they were gone tomorrow, uh -huh. we would experience some vacancies. We'd also lose so much of the demand that you would see a change in the value of real estate. I saw this week um, in a discussion with some real estate agents, the average price per bedroom of rent now in San Luis Obispo City is $1,000. I think that's This is the current market rate. So if you have a three-bedroom house, that house is going to rent for $3,000 a month. A three-bedroom house in Los Osos away from Cal Poly is going to rent for probably $1,800 $2,000 a month. So that I think the Cal Poly kids and their demand for housing have created um some fantastic value and you know i i i challenge everybody that says they don't like those kids first of all you know i'm not that far from them i went to cal poly and graduated you know a dozen years ago um don't let the sound of children's laughter make you mad uh, no. that makes you old well um, i live close to slack and grand yeah, so you're used to it. You know, I, 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 I'm not used to the older children, but <laughs> the younger ones I loved when yeah. they were in the school ground, and they're going to be back there, so that's good. And, you know, Cal Poly, too, if you want to compare it to how other colleges stack up, Cal Poly's done a great job of remaining academic. It's not known as a party campus. They force freshmen to live on campus first year where it's a dry campus. It's... You know, and everything about the school, I think, is is really making effort to do it the right way. And you know, I, I, I think that most of the county actually really does embrace the the college and what it means to our economy pretty well. And um, I, I for one, am grateful to have it and I for the opportunity it provides the, you know, our economy. So so many jobs, kids for that future. We definitely pick up the advantage of them buying things around here and shopping around here um they're they're everything the college adds to us i think is really a great thing and and the value of real estate you cannot argue the closer you out of Cal poly the better your home value is now do you want to live there and try to be experiencing quiet friday and saturday nights <laughs> maybe not but um, perhaps you could afford some better earplugs because your home is worth <laughs> double what it would be if uh, you live further away. Well, I appreciate all your insight. <laughs> all right, Marilyn, thanks so much for calling. Appreciate you. You're welcome. Thank bye -bye. you. Bye. All right, guys, we got to do our last commercial break here in the hour. And um, there's more to talk about. Did you, Dan, did you see that Bank of America this week made one settlement for some billions and then got popped for another one? I thought that was all behind them. We'll talk a little bit about that and a, a few more items here as we come back for the rest of the 11 o'clock hour. Stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. 
Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call agent Susan Rodriguez. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thanks for being with us. As mentioned earlier in the show, this next hour we're going to be joined by uh, Hal Swayze, and I'm super excited to have him on. And this this conversation here about housing um, in particular, and hey, let's ask him that question about Cal Poly and, and what it means um, to the guy that is doing more real estate transactions than uh, any other single individual. So I, before the break, I mentioned that uh, Bank of America, U.S. prosecutors are seeking more than $13 billion from Bank of America. Ooh, that's what is lot. this for? Um, this is for the sale of bonds backed by home loans leading up to the 2008 financial crisis. Man. It just doesn't like never goes away. That's what happens when you buy Countrywide, who dominated the mortgage market last right <laughs> i wonder if they regret that decision but you remember then though that it was more or less the government like forced this the sale yeah and i mean it was sort of like it was sort of like the fdic you know the way that they involved themselves in a bank takeover and was like you're taking over countrywide and i remember consideration being given to like it's being deeply discounted because 
there are likely things, you know, coming down the head headway here. Nine point five billion is what Bank of America agreed to pay FHFA, um, the Federal Housing Finance Agency. Just last month, nine and a half billion agreed to be paid because um, they had other issues. So it seems like I think what happened here was they got sort of piled on the uh, made their way through one regulatory board and then were found that um, as soon as they finished that up, somebody else was just waiting in the wings to come after another just another few bucks. That's got to be pretty tough if you're Bank of America. And by the way, your your opinion of Bank of America's involvement in the mortgage business lately? Mm-hmm. Who? Bank of America. Who? Yeah. yeah. Where? They're, they're not very Are they involved. doing home loans? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I definitely hear about Wells Fargo being pretty active in the market. They're the, they're the giant. J.P. Morgan Chase. I mean, we hear a little bit about Bank of America. My friends that worked at Bank of America told me that more or less, <laughs> more or less, the the sentiment within the company there was that they didn't really want to do home loans, and so they were higher prices and not. They didn't have the backroom staff and were just um, sort of buying their their time here. And if you were so insistent. That you came into a branch uh, as a Bank of America customer saying, I will get a Bank of America mortgage today. They'll give you one. It'll be expensive and take a while, but they'll do it. And so, you know, consequently, though, I mean, these guys have uh, not been big players in the market. And so many years after this um, countrywide thing did go down, you look at these billions and billions, and it's still a little bit freaky, but I'm out of touch, man. I don't know what... I don't know what it feels like to get fined a, a $13 billion settlement on top of the one you got for $9.5 billion in the prior month and then just um, cruise along. Um, J.P. Morgan and Chase, the Justice Department, if they get what they want out of Bank of America, that will make this Bank of America will take first position as the bank getting hit the hardest. So far, Chase holds the title. $13 billion is what they've paid so far, um, in, in including that. Four of that was for a claim that the FHFA brought against them. So FHFA going for um, more than double what uh, they went after J.P. Morgan Chase for. So you've got to believe it has something to do with those countrywide legacy issues. Pretty exciting. Hey, guys, we're getting to the end of the first hour here. When we get back, we're going to have a, a whole hour with you. We're being joined by Houseways. We're really excited about that. Hope that you'll stick around. Take this opportunity to go freshen your coffee, maybe make another piece of toast or something. I'm certain you're going to be glued in your chair for the next hour. And for those of you that are sitting in the driveway waiting for a break so you can run inside, this is it. Go tune us on in the living room. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832.
Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. If you're just joining us, good morning. Not sure what you were doing that first hour, but you missed it. We we already had the exciting hour. <laughs> just teasing. I, I'm really excited about this hour. We're joined on the show now by Hal Swayze. And uh, you're with Remax Del Oro? Correct. Well, thanks for taking time to come in on a Saturday. We sure appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. We've been uh, doing the show now for... What, it's five years or so i think i think we're six approaching seven maybe it's approaching six we really only get positive feedback because i think the people that don't enjoy it or have anything good to say <laughs> certainly aren't listening They're so gone they now. don't they don't even <laughs> care but there's a lot of people that do um share with us that they they can't believe that we could make something about real estate and mortgage exciting for five years um i i don't know what to say about that we just we're geeky about it and uh so we've had a lot of great guests on. We've had Tom Bordenaro and some different estate attorneys and real estate attorney insurance professionals all, all run the gamut here and some great real estate agents too. But we never before have been able to say we have the number one um, highest producing real estate agent in the county on the show. So. Well, I hope I don't ruin your, re your listenership. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens. I feel like your your name is sort of a household name around town. And so I want to know, how did that happen? Uh, well, it started from zero, like everybody else in town, I guess. I just uh, worked hard and uh, worked a lot on improving the service I provide. And uh, that's it's not really complicated. A lot of hard work. A lot of hours. In fact, my wife just called me and said, "You're working. You're busy again." So anyway, yeah, a lot of work and a lot of hours, and and trying to do the best job I can for our customers. How long have you been doing real estate? Started in 1990. 1990. 1990. Okay. And so, um, what was life like before real estate? Where are you from? Uh, well, I went to Cal Poly, and okay. then uh, I uh, was working here and played tennis at Cal Poly, and working in bars, bartending, and so forth, put myself through school, and I wanted to get a real job, so we moved to the Bay Area, and I got a job in sales for a large uh, international shipping company, and then after about two years, I had the opportunity to come back for a friend of mine in 1990 who was a real estate developer, and I said, back to San Luis Obispo, I love that. So I came back, I went to work for him, and about 18 months later, his business basically went out of business. There was a pretty yeah. healthy recession, and so I had just gotten my license, so I got in really real estate by default. I knew a little bit about it, but very little when I started. Yeah. yeah. When, what, was that, what was that like, that first firm that you were with? Um, it was a nice company, a Farrell Smith, Larry Smith, great people. Yeah, worked with them for a few years, and um, it was a very difficult time for sure. I was on the verge of not making it after about two years. I was close to quitting real estate. It was yeah. very challenging. Yeah. The first two years of getting into the financial services or real estate business, those are some tough years. It's it's very lean. It takes a while. And there's a there's a really strange uh, relationship between what you don't know and the people you can't seem to get to. And right. if you can get someone in the door, you might ruin it because you don't know enough. Yeah. And and then if um, you do feel like you've put your nose into the books and learn it all, then of course there are no people coming in the door because you put too much effort into learning the technical side. Right. So it, it definitely is a, a pretty good uh, kind of a the sorting cap, uh, you know, coming into the business that first couple years. And I got to tell you, um, I, man, I hope I don't make your head swell here, but 
Uh, you were talked about almost as folklore around the offices. <laughs> um, I even I've heard the realtors even say, "Well, you know that guy sits in there and he'll cold call and he calls people and he just works hard, long hours, and you know just." more than anybody you'll ever see. And I, I think it's kind of fascinating because this is really the first day that I've met you in person. Right. And, um, but it, it's been talked about for years. Okay. Um, I was, I, Dan and I both went to Cal Poly and I got into the mortgage business right after Cal Poly. So, um, it's about a dozen years ago, a little bit more maybe. And, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a funny thing that we've never even met face to face, but right. been turning around. I'm I mean I'm sure you've you've heard of us as of we've course. heard of you, and we've yeah. actually done several deals even recently with your firm. Yes, yes yeah, of course. So the uh, I, I'm curious to just kind of get your take about what's it like out there right now. Um, we've got from where we're sitting, you know, I have. 20 qualified buyers today that are ready, willing, and able if just something would come along. And, um, and I, so I feel like that's how I'd describe it. Um, so what's it like from your chair? Yeah, I think we had a really, really strong first quarter of this year, and I think our inventory is still down. And you guys mentioned the little video blog that I do, but so I always try to do little market updates for that, and we do it uh, customarily every month in our, in our uh, office. So we're tracking the stats, what's happening in the marketplace. Um, so yeah, there's always a challenge of that. And, and it's interesting cause I just did a little comparison first quarter of this year versus first quarter of last year and San Luis had a big jump in sales, 20% the first quarter. That was huge. Now I know people talk about housing near Cal Poly and we talked about that, but you know, I, I know there's one or two people that bought a lot of property, which has a big impact on our market. But the other places like looking at Aurora Grande, uh, Paso Robles, City Limits, Tascadero, those kind of other markets, uh, we had fewer sales, which just shocked me because it seemed very, very busy and the market still seems quite strong. So um, I see an uptick for sure. And then it seems like within the last two weeks, virtually things have, there's been a little breather, which we had last year, I felt, you know. When you say breather, like kind of a little, little slowdown? Yeah. I mean, so, ex you know, I, I sold some houses, for example, near Cal Poly, and, and that happened to be a real strong market the first quarter. In a couple of places, we really tested some price limits, and they sold immediately. And I've mm. got just as good a house, if not better, for sale for just about the same price. And in the first week, virtually have had no showings and no phone calls. That's so, fascinating. You know, it, it changed maybe, so fast. Maybe everybody is busy with spring break. That could be. And that Taking could be a the kids phenomenon. to Disneyland, going camp and all that stuff. Very well could be. You know, you've got Easter, you've got the holidays. So that could be. So we'll see. But I just talked to a couple other agents lately. And I said, have you noticed a little something? They go, oh, oh, yeah, it feels like that. So whether it's a two-week phenomenon and we get little blips in the market or it's a longer thing, I don't know. But I'm just shocked where people were battling three, four, or five weeks ago. And now in a week, you know, it's like, wow, that's a, that's a change. So we'll see. In our business, it felt like... Um, because of government stimulus and you know the various loan programs and just overall the heat of the real estate market last year and the prior year, um, we probably had, I want to say four years in a row where the typical um, November, December, January, where we could, that's a great time to plan a vacation if you're a loan officer. Right. We worked right through those with some, with some fever. We had great 
mm-hmm. November, December, January is in the preceding three years. This year was sort of back to normal. Right. And I was going in November, December, January was like, well, is this it? I mean, should I start updating the resume? And, right. you know, this is kind of freaky. Yeah. That phone hasn't rang in two days and I don't know where the next deal is coming from. Um, and then, you know, it started to thaw a little bit. Um, I would actually argue that on my side of the fence, uh, only in the last two to three weeks is it really, I've had a return of optimism, oh, a good. level of phone calls and activity and people calling up. And um, this, I hope impresses you guys as much as it does me. I took two refi apps this week, one person <laughs> with a 7% and one with a 6.5%. Wow. Sleeping through like four years of amazing <laughs> interest rates, yeah. um, but still getting yeah. into a four and a quarter is a pretty good play. Unbelievable. So Unbelievable. just it's fascinating to me. I don't know where these people are or what they were thinking. Um, but yeah, there's there's still people coming out to refi and and again a lot of people getting qualified to buy. Yeah. So we just need you to do your job and get some more listings out right. there so, yeah. no, <laughs> so we can it. match those people up. Yeah, yeah. Are you doing primarily listings on? Well, our business is about 60, 70% listings and, and 40, 30% buyers in that ratio. It depends on the year and the time. Uh, I do work with a partner. So, you know, the buyers uh, that we have, they do take a fair amount of time and commitment. And it's almost an exclusive job for my partner, Lindsay, who does an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Been with me for over six years now. And then, yeah, I focus on the listing side. So, but we're, we work out of the same room. It's, you know, We've got a buyer that needs a house in this area. Okay, I've got a seller that might want to sell, or you know, we're doing that a lot. Yeah, I'm kind of curious um, how what you're seeing when you look at different price categories of house. Sure. What we're what we're seeing and experiencing and hearing from not just our local area but all over the country is that lower end. There's people who want to buy entry level housing. There's nothing available, right. and we're starting to see more activity in the middle and upper ends. What are you seeing around town? I mean, I think <clears throat> I, I talk to a fair amount of agents that work throughout the state, and you know they're they're pretty active. So we talk once a week, and and here's what I, I see statewide: most of the areas that are somewhat like price sensitive, you know, Los Angeles, Inland Valley, excluding like Malibu and the high end places, um, the rest of the state is having a hard time because the entry level buyer between a little bump up in interest rates where you could be at three and a half, now you're at four and a quarter, which is still unbelievable. I mean, four and a quarter for 30 years is unbelievable, in my opinion. Um, and then the big run-up in prices has taken a lot of buyers away, whether they're first-time buyers or people that were buying for investment. You know, so But I still see a lot of investors as well here in like San Luis or multifamily units. They're willing to take a lot lower return. They'll pay out premium for a little lower rent, even though rents are strong. So um, yeah, the higher end is good. People that are not is on the border qualifying because, quite honestly, the prices don't match the incomes in this town. I mean, you guys deal with that more than I. Do. That's my impression. You know, if you have to pay five, six hundred for a house, you got to make a heck of an income and have some money. Yeah, you got to be doing pretty good to right. make that happen. Um, and you know, I I try to I try to remember too that in San Luis, it's a, it's you can't quite take that and apply that logic to sure. the rest of the nation, but. One thing I know for sure is that all of all the first-time homebuyers we work with, I think probably about 20% of those first-time homebuyers are actually in like San Luis. In right. fact, when one comes along that's like, I'm buying my first house, I'm going to buy one in slow. I'm like, 
Good for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. So something's happened. A yeah. lot of them are in the bedroom communities around, you know, the, right. the kind of the typical thing. National Association of Realtors kicked out um, a stat for the month of January saying that first-time home buying has actually fallen to the lowest level ever recorded since they've been keeping this stat. Um, generally making up 40% of the market, first-time home buyers are made up only 26%. And what period was that? That was just there in the month of January. In January, interesting. Yeah, and you know, and I kind of think that um, it, the article went a little bit farther to describe what these people had to say. And and bottom line is the uh, sorry Siri's trying to chime in on the conversation um, that these renters were qualified. They believed that they could qualify. So they weren't scared off by strict lending standards. Sure. Um, they felt that they could afford what they could buy. Right. Um, and that they were more or less willing. But the problem was there wasn't enough, you know, inventory for them to, to buy. And I feel like um, when you if you put yourself in that position, it's one of these things where um, – when you're in your 20s or 30s or maybe wherever, if you're a first-time home buyer, you, you sit down and you know, one of the things I don't want to do is make a big mistake. Sure. And I don't want to settle. Right. I'm really afraid of settling because, heck, by the time you get all to the end of it to sell this place, if I, if I make a mistake and I sell it, um, by the time we do the real estate commissions and closing costs and everything, just to unwind it, that could be six, seven, eight percent easy. Sure. And if I do this on a five hundred thousand dollar house, that gives me a range of like forty to sixty thousand bucks that I might lose if I make a bad decision. So, as I get out and go shopping, I would be concerned that I don't want to be settling. Right. Hey, there's one house in your price range, and it's the one that's been on the market for 112 days right. now. So you want to go check it out? That's kind of a freaky thing. Um, so I feel like that's that's probably a big part of it is just people not feeling like there's enough options, um, and and also, you know, if if the prices just went up, you know, I don't want to buy stock at its high mark. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's kind of the thing too, is it a Tascadero has gone up 20% in the last year or something. Right. Um, is that the time to buy or am I going to buy? And then it's going to go down next month because, uh, you know, I finally hopped in. Well, that, that's a heck of a good question. I think having done this for 23 years, San Luis Obispo property and the whole community, there's just not that many homes. You know, and even if you have lots of money and you want to buy a house for 800000 or something like that, there, there, there might be, if you're picky, there might be five houses you could buy. So if you're a first-time buyer, I think you have to look at the fact, okay, I'm living in this rental. Is this my dream home? Right. You know, okay, I'm paying rent, 2000 2500 whatever it is. Or do I buy a house that's, per my house wasn't perfect when I bought it. You know, I've been working on it for 20-some years. So I think you have to look at it, one, from a longer term, and two, I think the good thing about the economy now versus when we had the last, you know, bubble is that people have gotten loans in the last four or five years, didn't do it on a whim, you know, right. and they're solid and they're qualified and they can hang on. And then the other backstop we always have in our community is rents, you know, if you have to move or you get a job transfer, oftentimes you can get a pretty good rent, so you might not be too far behind because anybody who survived through the last recession through real estate, if they held on, they're probably glad they did. Yeah. So, so you have to have a little bit longer range outlook on this, which is hard in today's society. You know, we're looking five minutes. I know it's natural for all of us to do, but if you have a longer range outlook, um, you know, I, I think it makes sense, but you also have to be patient because it is discouraging and there's not much for sale. Right. There usually never is. The most I ever saw for sale in San Luis, believe it or not, was like 
400 homes in the 90s. There's now uh, maybe 100. Right. And 400 was huge. I mean, that was a, that was way different. They're giving yeah. them away. It was a lot cheaper. It was a lot different, you know? Yeah. Like we were all frightened to buy then, you know? Sure. So that was just natural. So I think there's never going to be a lot of houses. And when you go through a real long recession, a brutal one like we did, there's not houses being built. And the difference now is we actually have some jobs in San Luis Obispo. You've got some progressive companies that are hiring people that are making good salaries. You have people that want to retire here. So I think there will still always be a lot of pressure on our inventory in this area. There's just, I mean. Hey, and as long as Oprah keeps saying this is like one of the best <laughs> cities in the world to live. That's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even have known what it was if it yeah. wasn't for Oprah. Yeah, yeah it's uh, just 21 minutes after 11. we got to go ahead and take a commercial break, take some time out to thank the sponsors. When we get back, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got a question or want to share a comment, you can, 543-8830. You can uh, give us a topic to talk about or, um, heck, share some experience, something you have to say. 543-8830. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you refinance your home or investment property. Lower your rate, shorten your loan term, or get out of your mortgage insurance. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason.
All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks much for being with us. It's April 26th. It's beautiful weather. I don't know why you're inside listening to the radio. Actually, I do. It's because you love this, right? Can't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you for making time to come in today and chat with us. My uh, pleasure. We've been talking for the last uh, few years here. Um, in fact, Wes Burke, he's kind of a regular around these parts close personal friend of mine i couldn't say enough good things about the guy um he's been telling us for years that that what we'd end up facing at the end of this is a um a, a pent-up demand and if for no other reason is just that we haven't built enough homes and and i think that 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 story is kind of playing out nationally right now when you look at the annualized pace of construction, it's terrible. Somewhere in the 400,000 units is the kind of thing we're seeing where this number probably belongs to make up for lost time. This number probably belongs closer to 2 million units a year, right? Um, at least a million and a half. And we're just well below that. And this last week, there was more headlines showing that even just nationally, it doesn't matter where you go, they just still haven't had... Um, I think the confidence and we had a call in the first hour that, you know, where we were kind of talking about the, the cost of building homes. And I think that that's kind of still the thing is when you get in there and look at the numbers of what it takes to build a home yes. today, a lot of these homes are still a significant value. The, the price per square foot of what you're able to buy this thing for done and completed without all of the risk that it takes to do the course of construction. Um, I, I think that home values, from one side, we stand here and say, well, we're in a dangerous position here because this rate of appreciation is just setting us up for another inflationary bubble cycle. Uh, at the same time, you could make the argument that given the additional regulatory costs and material costs and labor costs and everything that goes into building a home today versus what it was even 10 years ago, that these homes need to be worth more. So I, that's, that's kind of the tricky thing here is what's the balance? What's the mix? And, and how, do you, how do you help somebody feel okay about buying in the, in the present state here? Well, I think, again, you have to look at it from a longer-term basis. I would agree with you 100% that costs are not going to get lower, especially when you look at financing a home. I mean, you guys are in the lending business, and what is a 30-year rate now, conventional rate for a good borrower? Well, four and a quarter. Four and a quarter. Unbelievable, right? And, and you get that for 30 years. Yeah. Is there any other country in the world where you get that? I don't think so. No. Most of them, you know, they're like 10-year, 5-year, you know, so we have that cost to purchase is so cheap and buying an existing home is usually cheaper. And then, you know, I don't know what a divorce costs, but it probably costs a lot of money. So when you go through building a house, that's stressful. You know, there's a lot to it. So I think, yeah, th there is going to be a limited supply and I think the demand will continue. And uh, who was it? Warren Buffett said a year or two ago, it's like, you know, people keep getting married, keep having families and there are always going to be more folks. And then you select that and you put it together with a desirable area where people want to live, this being one of them, I think, then yeah, that demand, that pressure is going to be there. Will, will there be ebbs and flows and, and prices? Yes. But if you can, you know, with your guys's help, you know, get somebody that can afford their payment, barring some large circumstance, they should be fine. And they, they need to look at that, that this is where we're going to be living. 
every now and again, I get caught on this soapbox of I think one of the the, the silver bullets here to, to fixing a lot of these affordability issues would be um, going over to a 40 year mortgage term. And mm -hmm. Dan pointed out sort of in a tongue in cheek fashion that that's landed its way as a, a qualified mortgage violation. Um, but I really feel like even if they just did it for the state of California, um, the 30 year, the 30 year loan term, um, that was sort of a maximum loan term decided way back when, not because anybody wanted to loan somebody that money for a full 30 years, but it was a term chosen that, that longer amortization, uh, amortization would give somebody some affordability, but it was also based on the, the dependable, uh, economic lifespan of a structure. Right. right. And so we know that the houses we're building would, would be around for 30 years and that therefore made it a good bet. Um, today we know that, uh, people will live in homes that are 150 years old, that they'll actually remodel them and jack them up and replace the foundation, sure. redo the wiring and the plumbing and the roof. And, you know, and even, uh, not only is all of that true, but at the same time, I think the building uh, materials and the the processes by which we're assembling these homes are going to hold up better over time, too. You know, the way that even come down to the quality of the paints and the way that we're able to kind of seal in and protect a home. It really just seems to me logically that now that we understand that people will live in a home, you know, multi-generational, 100 plus years in a single home and update it and maintain it along the way why haven't we gone into something like a 40-year loan term? And if if you could, there's so many different ways I could argue this, but one other thing here is that over the term, you know, 30-year loan's been around for how long? Fanny Since and the 30s. Bring, <laughs> right. And your life expectancy, sir, if you were born in 1915? <laughs> I don't it's know. not the same 40, as your 50? life expectancy <laughs> if you were born in the year 2000. So... You know, that's another thing is people are working longer. We've seen the retirement age go out farther and farther today. I mean, one of the things that plagues the nation today is that we have like the lowest amount of people in history that are contributing to a retirement plan. Mm -hmm. And additionally, um, you know, Social Security's on the ropes. It's not supposed to have survived as long as it has. But, right. um, you know, going over to a 40 year term would afford people that ability to be able to contribute to their retirement plan and that kind of thing. It, it would just make such a difference. And it's it's sad to me that um, our government so misses that point, not only not seeing its value, but actually listing it on one of the, you know, exotic loan programs that, that need to, we need to protect consumers from. Well, one of the big problems with that 40 or even a 50 year loan term is that it's from the perspective of people who are making rules today, it was associated with that pay option arm loan, that negatively amortizing loan, that was one of the features you could add on to get a little extra premium for the loan officer. Um, so that's why that has been targeted. But a 40-year term in itself is another stable fixed loan product. Right. I mean, that that to me shouldn't be um, something that's, that's blacklisted to this, this non-QM list along with interest only and um, negative amortization and prepayment penalties. 40-year doesn't belong in, in that company. Well, the loan talk gets boring. So at expense of <laughs> lulling you guys to sleep here, I'll, I'll just say, you mentioned the pay option arm. And just to break that down again real quick, it used to be a pay option arm was a negatively amortizing loan where 
your first payment option, which was only available for a few years, was less than the actual interest cost of the loan. Then you usually had an interest-only payment and then some other variation of like a, you know, a 30-year payment or, you know, a 15-year payment. Who knows? How about a payment option arm today? Um, and, and not necessarily something arm-based or negatively amortizing, but um, the banks should get get up to snuff here. You should be able to say, hey, here's four options for you. This one's a 15-year fix, and this one's a 30-year fix, and this one's a 40-year fix. Have the freedom and flexibility to choose from month to month, making the 40-year overall the um, the worst, like the minimum payment that you could make. And I think, you know, we know Freddie Mac said last year that um, 38% of loans that people originated last year were for shorter loan terms. Yes. Um, close to 60% of the transactions were people putting money in to lower the balance of their loan. Sure. So we know that people are in tune right now with um, the idea of owning their house. Right. Shorten the term, lower the balance, knock this thing out and look forward to retirement. So if you gave an option that created more affordability, those people would, I think some folks would embrace it. Others are still going to elect to to stay on path to their 15 or 30 year loan. Um, I just want to see what the next piece of affordability is so that we can find equilibrium, what it takes to build a home, what it takes to sell a home and allow the person with the average income to afford the average priced home. Right. That's out of balance right now. Like all four pieces of that, you wouldn't even believe that they share a relationship because they, it's so erratic and out of balance. Right, right. Kind of fascinating. Are you guys um, in? In uh, I always am curious to to get talk from somebody in terms of like the loan stuff, um, the kind of programs. Does any any one program? If you are reviewing and counseling a seller about somebody's offered this for your house and this is the kind of loan um are there any kind of loan programs that you feel like are less attractive today because of the difficulty of the process or dependability of that borrower mm, no I, I think uh, what we look at <clears throat> when counseling a seller and having an offer from from a bar a buyer and a borrower is you know who's their lender and what do they have to say about it and in, in a small town you know guys that are good like you and uh, other you know folks that are reliable you can count on them to say, yeah, I've qualified them and, and I trust that. And, and so that's what, part of what I'm getting paid for. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you occasionally will see it with you know, in the appraisal side. You know, there's guys that have been doing it and gals that have been doing it for a long time. You know what they know what they're doing. And then occasionally you get someone that's a little out of the area or doesn't know what they're doing. They have a few questions and, and the red lights start flashing. So I, I think it's not so much a loan program. Um, obviously, if you have several offers and one's cash and one's down with 5%, most likely the cash will take the cake, but sometimes people will offer more that have financed loans. And you always, that's always a challenge for a seller. I've got an offer at 500 cash and 520 with someone with 5% down, but they seem to be a good risk. Yeah. To, 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 you know, that's, that's a tough question for a seller to answer, and we have to counsel them on that. And then we have a long conversation with their lender and say, hey, how, how solid does this look? So yeah. I, I don't think we get scared away that by that. We get a little nervous when it's maybe some lender that's not local because we just don't have a track record and it's unknown. And they could be the best lender in the world, but they're at a disadvantage when they're 300 miles away in San Francisco or L.A. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, um, first of all, 
I always enjoy working with your office. Yeah. I think it's Melody, I think, is the, the contact person that's usually on. Is that her name? M Melody handles our uh, escrows and transactions. So yeah. Melody and Vicky and Lizzie. Yeah. 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 And I get the, first of all, this email that says, hey, here's a timeline. Here's the players involved. Right. Um, and, you know, we do a good job just communicating back and forth. But I always realize that I feel like I know where it stands and I know what's going on. I know that they, at the same time, know what we're waiting for or what the next step is coming from our side. But it is nice. It's a, a cohesive fit when you kind of know everybody and you know that there's some history there to draw upon. Um, I think where the industry is today, most of the loan officers, if you've stuck around through this now right. in the last year, Probably your outfit and you are are doing okay. I mean, I I definitely see that a lot of the fat's been cut out of the offices. Of course, those um, we were joking a, a couple years ago was when rates were so low that anybody could refinance people. Um, I mean, yes, the standards were tighter and everything. It was kind of like strike yeah. up a conversation in the elevator with somebody. You, as soon as you share with them, I can get you a 30-year fix for 3.125. Yeah. The odds of them doing that with you are, are relatively high if they've got income and equity. Um, and so it was kind of like the fish are jumping in the boat. Yes. We need more boats in the water. Right. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and today... The fish are not jumping in the boat, exactly. and those most of the firms are getting boats out of the water. Right, you know right. those those drains on the whole system. So I do think it's kind of cool is that we're kind of cooked back to that position today, where the people that remain are pretty high caliber people and understand their deal, um, and so. It's, if nothing else, a little comforting. Um, yeah, well, a tough market, you know, the better people will make it and survive, whether it's a contractor, a lender, or a real estate agent. Yeah, that, so that shows who's doing something well. We were talking, um, we were talking the other day about um, the kind of best practices that people have, the, the procedures they go through on every transaction, and sure. um, just the for their assistance and staff, a, a, a path that they follow to make sure that they're always doing everything the right way. Yes. And that was one of the examples that your your company was brought up. Okay, um, good. And in fact, uh, a real estate agent I was talking to said, well, if if my procedures and practices were as good as, as Hal Swayze's, I would be as busy as he is. <laughs> and I, and I, so I, I mean, obviously you, you probably heard that before. I'm sure it's still flattering, but um, what is that like in your office? Well, you know, it's, it's a big decision selling or buying. It's a big financial commitment either way. And so, you know, one, um, we want to make sure that people are prepared. So we're always trying to manage people's expectations, you know. So you sell a house, you get a great offer, the 520, you take it. And then a home inspection comes, and a home inspector is designed to find every fly can Makes in the house. Makes you feel like your house is just right. ready and, to be burned. Right. And so we <laughs> try to tell our clients, say, listen, this is not going to be pretty. We tell the buyers, guess what? They're going to, you know, find everything they can. Yet that house has been there since 1950. It's worked perfectly fine for these people for 61 years or whatever that amount of time is. So one, it's managing expectations. Two, letting people know that, yeah, there's timelines. A buyer's supposed to do this by this time, and this is supposed to happen by that time. However, in the real world, it can take longer. So don't panic if on 15th of March, when the buyer's supposed to be ready, they're not quite ready. Mm -hmm. It could take a little bit more time, and we always try to 
uh, build in latitude on time, whether there's a move out date or a rent back or a new home to move into. So we just work every week on seeing where the pitfalls come up and then creating systems so that we avoid those pitfalls, you know, yeah. and, and make it as smooth as possible because it's stressful enough. And then communication is huge, whether it's with a lender, you know, it might be my listing and you're working with another realtor, but you're the lender, but we want to talk to you, make sure you know, and we're, everybody's on the same page right. because it's easy to have a little misunderstanding. Sure. Um, and we try to avoid those. I doubt it would shock you to know, but we've actually been the cause of delay of some escrows before. On, well, it happens on, <laughs> on it, the loan side. Yeah, it's not you, but yeah, I no, mean, it's an underwriter. When or the loan's not ready, yeah, something backs up somewhere along the way. And, you know, and there's a lot of funky little pieces now, especially because of all the extra regulation. Of course. There's more reports and QC things that are happening on the backside of a loan than ever before. Yes. This time of year, um, I always tell people, uh, this is a time of year where you got to expect a little bit more patience because, um, for example, you filed your tax returns with the IRS and it takes about a month for those to get into their system to be verifiable. Loans do not close today without the, um, the 4506 is the name of the form that processes and gets us those results. Uh, but it's required on every loan. So sometimes yeah. you just kind of get in this one month period here where it gets a little finicky. And so, um, but we share that with people and right. say, these are things that potentially may arise along the way. And in any case, you'll know if it's an issue or not, just so that it can play out well. And, you know, and the other thing too, is that if ever there are delays because of this thing, um, as long I found the best the best thing for us to do is just to share it and just to say this is the progress we've made this is what's hindered us and what we're hoping to resolve to get to the next step um, and you know like for your sellers it's it's being delayed and everybody knows that and that's causing angst and stress but if they knew that the docs were at least there and it's just a, ma a matter of walking it out from here that feels a lot better so sure. to, to just make some progress. Um, but you know, the other kind of silver lining to the, the economy lately is that, um, with the bank volume being down by like 70% across the board, um, there's not that bottleneck anymore. Service is so fast. Um, right. We, I mean, I can tell somebody with a pretty straight face that getting docs into escrow and being poised in a position to fund after 17 to 20 days is the norm. Right. That's simple. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, you remember this, we were telling people it's probably you need like a 35 day finance contingency because you're talking seven, eight, nine days in underwriting and they would come back after eight or nine days and tell you that, Oh, you know, for X, Y, and Z, we couldn't move you forward. Right. And you say, that's crazy. That's in there. And we know it. Right. Well, we'll take a look at it again and see. And then four days later, they're like, oh, by gosh, you're right. It was in there. Yeah. You know, it just, it was so impacted that the best of clients were just getting caught in like the gridlock of everyone trying to get through the system at the same time. So Today, that's really changed. Um, well, and you have to look at that time. So you guys were incredibly bu busy. Rates were good. You had to bring in new people. So you had new people helping out that didn't right. have the experience, slowed it all down. And I always told my sellers, "Here, the bad news is it's going to take a little longer. The good news, the reason it's taking longer is because the market is so darn good and you're getting an extra 20000 that you would have got you know, five months ago. Right. So there's the good and the bad. So, yeah. you know, that's it, it just they go together. Yeah. 
Yeah, today is fun. You can I can put in a file for underwriting in the morning and have an approval by the end of the day. That's amazing. That's <laughs> get amazing. conditions in and get them signed off the same day. Yeah, uh, nothing beats that from my chair because right. oftentimes, you know, I got these things where on my side I'm managing the all of the items that the underwriter says they need, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like for the most part we got round peg, round hole. But every now and again, it's like well. Kind of have to shave this one a little bit and hope that you'll agree with me. Um, and so you want to get those reviewed as soon as possible to tell everyone that it's fine or to shift gears and sort of figure out how to salvage it next. It's nice to have that happening fast enough um, that working behind the scenes is pretty easy. Sure. Sure. It's time to do the final commercial break here of the show. It's just a quarter of. Uh, so we do have about 15 minutes more to go. Hope that you'll stick around and join us for this last piece of Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you buy your next home. We promise to close on time, on budget, with no surprises. Give Central Coast Lending a call today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to CentralCoastLending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. I love the colorful clothes you wear And the way the sunlight plays upon her head I hear the sound of a gentle all right guys welcome back to mortgage matters we're in the home stretch here so got Hal swayze on the show and you know we've been talking with you long enough that um 
suddenly I feel remiss that I've not asked you to give out your contact information. So I want to I want to do that. Happy to do so. Yeah. So my office line is eight zero five, of course seven eight one three seven five zero seven eight one three seven five zero. Uh, we also have our website. It's just teamswayze.com, T-E-A-M, and then Swayze, S-W-E-A-S-E-Y.com. But easier probably just to call us. We're there all the time. And what's a good client for you today? Um, they're all great clients. Um, yeah, we don't have any selection per se. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I, I was curious, to, you know, for somebody that I see your signs sticking in yards all around, um, what part of the county is kind of your bread and butter? Um, well, my office is in San Luis Obispo, but we do a lot, Arroyo Grande, Pismo, Avila, you know, Morro Bay, and then, you know, probably top out a little bit in Paso and in Napomo and that. So anywhere with about a 20 minute drive of my office. Okay. Yeah. So we go out from there. Any part of the county feel like a great opportunity right now to buy or sell? You know, um, yeah, I think the coastal areas are pretty amazing still. I'm surprised. Again, we did those first quarter numbers, and Pismo had a half as many sales in the first quarter of this year as last year. I'm just surprised. But the inventory is also down somewhat. And, um, you know, what we saw is where they had the biggest increase in prices is where the uh, over the past year, last quarter versus this quarter, we had the biggest uh, fall off in sales. So you talk about affordability, and it's like I've read this in a financial thing somewhere. It's like the cure for high prices is high prices because then they're going to come down. The cure for low prices is low prices because <laughs> when they were low, you know, yeah. people buy things up. So the market has a way of working itself out and um, and stabilizing. But, you know, Paso Robles is affordable. San Luis Obispo is desirable. Um, Tascadero also very affordable, you know. So And I, I think the coastal areas, we have a lot of money from the Bay Area. We have a lot of uh, – folks from the valley and the farming industry that have done quite well. So we see them showing up and, um, you know, I, I don't really see too much of a weak spot. I, I do see the affordability being a problem and I see people getting priced out of the, uh, the real estate market. I was curious to, to find out with your guy, you guys have some of the bigger scale in the County because of the number of transactions that you do. Yes. Um, what percentage of those would you say are people that are coming here, relocating to the central coast? Um, you know, it's interesting. I would say, 30, 40% of our business might be out of town owners that are selling or out of town clients that are buying, oh, you know, okay. and um, having been around San Luis and the poly housing situation for a while, we do have, when I talk to people, it's, you know, where'd you come from? How'd you pick this area? And, and, and Cal Poly seems to tie in one way or another. I had a brother who went here. I went here. We wanted to come back. <laughs> My kids went there. We said, well, we love it. We'll retire there. So it's interesting how Cal Poly has become kind of a source of draw and it's that one link that eventually gets people back here I guess that's why we're all, all here all of us here included right <laughs> yeah i mean kind of, i'm a transplant i came here yeah. um my dad went to school because here. of cal poly yeah <laughs> yeah right. and yeah i i like now kind of what i was when we had the call early on the show that's what i was saying is i i'm i feel grateful every day for cal poly and yeah. what it does for our not only the economy, but the people. I mean, it's just, it's been phenomenal influence. Of course. And for over 100 years. So yeah. that's that's got to be ingrained in the fabric of everything related to San Luis Obispo. I agree. It's a hot topic, too. And, you know, I, people call, you know, classify students sometimes as like it's a, a second class here. And there's some kids that, you know, get a little out of hand. And I get that. And I, I'd rather not have that. But there's a lot of great kids that are eventually going to end up working and, and doing some amazing things. So. Yeah. Um, it, it's a great resource. I think the administrative there, administration there, the new president, Armstrong, they're doing a phenomenal job at that university. I know that housing situation is very controversial, 
um, as all the new housing is and anywhere, you know. Yeah. So, but uh, it is a great resource for us. We're lucky. You know, I think, is it next week, Dan, that we have the a Cal Poly real estate professor on? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So we're, in Cal Poly, you know, I I was talking David Slade. He he got coursework at Cal Poly. I think he was maybe even a real estate major. Yes. When I went through Cal Poly and I was under the College of Architecture, I got my degree in city and regional planning. But um, I, it, it didn't really seem apparent to me at all that there was a, a real estate major or even concentration that you could be a part of. Um, and it, so it seems to me lately that they're growing that a little bit too, which I think is exciting. Yeah. Um, and you know what, lately too, I've noticed that, um, there's more and more young people getting into real estate sure. and I find that really exciting. Yeah. Um, not that there's any issue at all with, you know, the kind of realtor that retires from one profession and starts dabbling that kind of thing. But to see people come in like fresh out of college and go, that's what I want to do. That's for me. Right. Um, I just love that. It's yeah. exciting. And yeah. it's fun to see one of those people succeed. Too, yes. Yeah. You know? I think finance, like what we do, because you have that opportunity to get in on the operation side. And that's how I got in. I mean, I spent years as an underwriter and um, and you can take those little promotions in the operations side to to graduate into a position where you know ultimately I'm pretty good loan officer because I've done every job you can do in the processing of a mortgage loan um, you don't really get a lot of that in real estate it, you may get to be a transaction coordinator or an assistant or something for somebody like you but that's kind of few and far between well and, and I think the real estate does miss the boat there because you know obviously you had to learn from the ground up and and you I think it's tough to just go in, like you said earlier in the show, and, and just start and, you know, oh, this is how I actually write a contract. And oops, I didn't know that. My broker was busy. You know, so I think we're a little remiss in the real estate industry of not having a mentoring program like that. Um, yeah. Lindsay, that's virtually my partner now, started out as, you know, out of college. Uh, she was an intern at Big Brothers Big Sisters where I'm on the board, needed a little part-time work. and worked hard and learned how transactions work. And now, you know, she uh, has got this thing wired, you know, she knows it from the bottom up, like you learned it. So you don't get that. And if you don't practice that, if you don't review a lot of files, you, you can't know how to solve a problem. It's right. like a doctor who does, you know, you got to do a lot of practice. So I, I think uh, there could be some higher standards set in terms of training and mentoring in the real estate industry ah, to help out. Yeah. Definitely. Well, only recently is there finally now a mortgage license. One of the fascinating things I always found was you could go to work for a bank that had basically an exemption and be sitting in a chair and, and with the suit on, you may not know whether this person has any experience or even is qualified to be giving the kind of advice they're giving. Um, and then to boot on the other side of the fence, it's like, well, get yourself a probational real estate license by taking one course and passing a test. And now you're qualified to talk to people about mortgages. That's pretty fascinating to me that, you mm -hmm. know, it's, um, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't say a cause of the, um, you know, the recession that we're that we're just getting out of now, but it's certainly a contributing factor that a total lack of regulation oversight and, uh, total lack of uh preparing qualified individuals um i was i was sharing with a uh, my wife's cousin is in town visiting and i was we were talking about home loans because her her fiance said well 
you know, what do you, how did you get to do that? And I was explaining it and said, you know, and it wasn't always like that. Years ago, you could kind of just run down and take one test and then sit down in the chair. Sometimes I feel like a financial advisor of sorts with people. Sure. And, and I can't use that term. And I certainly don't tell people investments to make or otherwise, but we really approach it from a, a whole budget standpoint of, you know, the proper combination of the present versus future value of money and whether or not you you pay points or what program is best, you know, coupling for what you're doing. And um, it's scary to me to think that the kind of uh, advice people may have been given or actually even not receiving, you sure. know, there is no one size fits all in terms of a, a loan program or even something as simple as an interest rate and closing cost structure to go, f you know, for any one client, it takes some, some skill and care. And so as good now, at least finally, there's a license that's required. Well, and that's how you build a, a business by providing value and not just saying, yeah, get a loan no matter what, or take this loan or sell sure. buy or sell this house. You know, you have to give people that insight and be able to not be connected or attached to the fact they want to buy or sell. And it's more like, how can I serve those people at this point? It's funny, I just got a broker's license. Oh, I guess it was a year ago I took the test, so I was agent for 20-some years, and then I got my broker's license. And and again, I think there's a little shortfall. It's now the Bureau of Real Estate, which was the Department of Real Estate. You go to take your test, and you know, I was excited. I took it, and I handed over my test, and they said, okay, you passed. And I said, great. There was a few questions you know, that I didn't get right. I know I missed those. Um, you know, Can I get the right answer? Oh, no. It's like it's not about the education; it's pass or fail. And, and, <laughs> right. And if you look at the training, I mean, what kind of service is that to our community when you know the regulatory system is like, yeah, well, just as long as you pass. Well, there's some items I didn't know, and it's the items I didn't know that can be a problem. You know, yeah. so can I see those ones so I can learn and make sure I've got that right? You know, I worked in the bank world, right, and mm -hmm. I did all these jobs that don't require a real estate license. And at some point, I thought, you know, I should get that because down the road, I know I'm headed in that direction, and so. Um, I, I, kinda, I went down that road, too, and um, I thought, I don't need to study. They accepted my bachelor's degree for the education, so I went down to take the test, and I thought, well, I don't want to study the things that I don't, you know, that are going to be totally irrelevant or whatever, so I'll just go take the test, and I, I failed it. Sure. I missed it by a percent. Right. So I said, well, I'll study a little bit, and um, but I was so disappointed to know that um, when you when you fail, they actually do tell you that, you know, well, the the whatever the part about finance or contracts or whatever that was where you had trouble and need to study more but when you pass it there's no they don't tell you what you did well in and what you didn't do in, and that should be the part where they should have a department to come back and say these are the part yeah you passed but these are the things that you should have known the ones you answered wrong uh, it's such a it's such a shame that um you know that it becomes bureaucracy rather than just simply you know doing doing a service for everyone um, all right. Well, hey, we're we're out of time. So I'd, I'd like you to give your uh, your contact information one more time here, so that anybody that wants to reach out to you guys can. Okay, great, Dan. Thanks, uh, Jason. You guys. Um, so Hal Swayze, Remax Real Estate. The phone number is 805-781-3750, 805-781-3750. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks much for being on. If you guys have any loan needs at all, um, and you want a just a consultation, we can kind of sit down and go over what you got or what you're thinking. Give us a call. We have one phone number that rings all of our offices. It's really simple. It's 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. 
Additionally, you can check us out on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. Thanks much for being with us. We'll be back next week with another live episode. You guys, have a great, safe week. Enjoy the Central Coast.